This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple. Zero Procure harnesses a network of specialists to ensure that businesses are working with the right suppliers at the right price. Hospitality Meets is delighted to partner with the Zero Procure team and their network to help keep this podcast accessible and free to listen to. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Douglas Waddell, Operations Director at the rather stunning Handpicked Hotels. Coming up on today's show, Douglas tries to recruit Phil. Look, you're you know, a bright lad, whatever. Uh, why don't you just do duty management for us for the summer? Phil has a go at a hospitality legend. That Stephen Carter's got a lot to answer for. And Douglas turns into a dog. Thank you so much. We got there in the end. We've been trying to do this for, for a few months, haven't we? All that and so much more as we chat through Douglas's story and journey to date. Douglas is as passionate about hospitality now as he was when he started. And his story is another great example of what can happen when you apply yourself and be alert to opportunity. It's exciting times for Douglas and his teams at Handpicked Hotels and I'm incredibly grateful for his time. We're here each week telling the stories of the amazing people within hospitality, so please don't forget to give us a like, share and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Beats with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in hotels and I'm once again joined by a very familiar name to anyone who works in the hotel industry in the UK. That is none other than Douglas Waddell. Welcome, Douglas. Hey, Phil. Thank you very much for having me. You're very, very welcome. How are you? Do you know what? I'm good. I've just, I've just uh, come back from a week's a week off. I went to, uh, wait for this, I went to Dumfries and Galloway. Ah, so very I'm, good. Uh, so very nice time. Just reinforced how beautiful Scotland can be as well. So, yeah. so I'm feeling energised and um, yeah, suitably ready for the, the challenges ahead. Very good. Well, there's nothing like a break, right? I mean, the uh, we don't, I think certainly there was a period there of my life where nobody really talked about breaks. Breaks were bad, but um, but you know without them you you can't operate at your optimum, can you? No, I I think it's really important that uh, you allocate time to to recharge, to recover, all that sort of thing. And when you're doing it, you know you do some quality thinking as well. Yeah, I, you know it's interesting. My, my passion's cycling, so. When I'm out on my bike, I'm recharging, I'm re- but I'm also thinking about stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, and I think we've all become much more acutely aware about well-being over the over a period of time. And I think you know the pandemic has has just magnified the the need that not only as an industry but as a nation we need to make people comfortable talking about well-being and comfortable taking their holidays and all that sort of stuff really important yeah i could could not agree more i could not agree more and i think get uh, for those who are only listening uh douglas has got a, a bike right behind him as if to kind of solidify the point that one of his passions is cycling so um so very very good nice uh, bit of product placement there absolutely the trek boys would be very happy yeah <laughs> very good where are you actually based uh douglas because we'll, we'll come on to your so, accent in a minute of course I hear a, a, a small Scottish twang. So, yeah, I live now in Stratford-on-Avon, and I've lived in Stratford-on-Avon for the last 20 years. Throughout my career, I've just sort of been working, gradually getting south, and I, I kind of got to the Midlands, and that was about as far as I've got. Uh, but, yeah, we, we live in Stratford, which is a great place. And if you think about it, doing any form of national job, then Stratford's right in the middle of Britain. So yeah, it's very true. accessible, and it really works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and where where do you hail from originally? So I was. It's interesting. You go on about my twang. So basically, I was I was born in Grangemouth. I then moved to Greenock, and then my formative years were in Stirling. So my, I've got this expression that my accent's a bit bastardised, east west mixed up, you know. So yeah. uh, and then having been having been in England, I've worked in England pretty much of my 34, 35 years, 30, 30 plus has been in England. So my accent fades. However, and I'm sure you'll 
you'll get this that as soon as you head back home, you spend time with your family, a few beers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it turns into I, doesn't it? And uh, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'd, funny you say that. My, uh, I'm exactly the same as you. I have uh, a, a little bit of a mixed accent because grew up on the East Coast, moved to the West Coast, did uni in Glasgow, and then travelled the world. And then, like you, have been in England pretty much ever since. And um, my uh, my accent has definitely softened over the years. Um, I think back to some of the stuff I used to say in my childhood and I would think, God, that's not even English. It's its own version of English. That's what it was. Mm. Very good. Right. Well, let's get to it. Let's get uh, to your story. You're obviously, actually, we haven't covered who you are and what you do. I mean, we've covered who you are, but what is it that you're, you're currently doing, Douglas? What's your role? So my role is Operations Director for Handpicked Details. So I've been... Handpicked for since 2006, so I'm a 16-year veteran here. Some people say, "Well, my goodness, why, why are you still with Handpicked?" Well, it's such a great company, such a great company. I'm blessed with having really good owners who are very supportive of us. Let us get on with it, and the job remains remains challenging, interesting, exciting. We've got a great product, which not that a challenge, but we have, and clearly, you know, we've we've faced from 2008 and nine, the financial crash, then, you know, we've had the perfect storm of inflationary uh, cost pressures, all that sort of good stuff. Then we've had the pandemic. So I would also say that um, my entry has never been empty. Right. And, um, you know, it, it maintains uh, the same level of challenge as the day I arrived. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the thing, right? I mean, th- yes, there are always bigger ticket challenges to face like the pandemic like a financial crash and all of these things but generally speaking there's always something it's never i think the day when it becomes that everything is in its place i mean that's that's a boring day isn't it that's that's the day where you go well what's next absolutely well i think i think running any business you know the, the the operational area of any business is constantly changing Constantly yeah. evolving, constantly developing something new is coming out here. So there, there's no such thing as a predictable day. And uh, I think I think when if you do get to a stage where you know it's never actually happened to me, you feel it's it's boxed off, then it is time to move on, isn't it? The challenge has gone within the job. Uh, the way I feel about this yeah. job and the company that I work for and the people that I work with is the challenge is absolutely still there. There is much to be done. Yeah. And always there is much to be done, uh, no doubt, because there's always something new. There's always a new way of doing things. There's always, oh, actually, the way they're doing it sounds really, really excellent. Maybe we could do that in our business and so on. So that's called evolution, I think. Absolutely. I agree with that fully. And we we continue to evolve. We continue to evolve. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, as a human, you would have evolved into this position that you're in now. Nice little segue there, if you see what I did. If we uh, go all the way back to the beginning of your career and uh, and just talk us through how you got into hospitality in the first place. Do you know, I I know the day that I decided I was good, the hospitality business was, was for me. Really? Absolutely. Uh, and I was, I think, 12, 12 and a half at the time. And uh, I, I was the youngest of five boys. They'd all left home and I was still at home. My mum and dad announced they were going away on yet another foreign holiday, and right. I wasn't going with them. So, but I have managed to get over that. I don't, I don't bring my, my parents' grudge. <laughs> Still to this day. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, they sent me to um, stay with my second eldest brother, and he was the deputy manager of a hotel in Aberdeen, and the hotel was called the Langstrach Hotel. Now, I have to tell you, this was sort of late seventies, so oil was starting to make a big impact on the market. And this was a very busy hotel. And at that stage, I'd stayed in the old hotel, but didn't really understand. So for two weeks, I got to, I wouldn't say run a mall, but I got to work behind reception, see what's happening in the bar. Look at the, they they let me sort of access all areas. That's a good way of putting it, access all areas. And I thought, you know what? This is what I want to do. Yeah. And I I didn't at that stage really know if I meant run a hotel company or 
but I thought hospitality is what I want to do. And so I think I went back and said to my parents, yep, that's what I'm going to go and do. And then so I, I continued to study at school. And um, interesting, I applied to Napier, as it was in those days, College of Commerce and Technology, now Napier University. I applied yep. uh, for the degree course there. And uh, this is relevant because they looked at my grades and my predicted grades and said, we'd like you to go back and do another year of hires and do a few more hires, strengthen your you know, academic level. And I decided, no, I wasn't going to do that. What I was going to yeah. do was go and work for a year. So I did, I, I did, I worked hotels in the summer. So I worked in the Fife Arms in the summer, which is now obviously a very posh gig. It was considerably less posh in 1981. Right. And I got to, um, I got to teach skiing at uh, Glenshee. Now, 81, 82, I'd been skiing since I was three years old. 1981, 82 was amazing snow, amazing snow. So I got to teach skiing. I, te- I taught for Kermel Ski School. And the reason I say that is I genuinely think that I learned to build good rapport with people. When you're teaching somebody to ski, whether and you, as an instructor, you're teaching kids or you're teaching adults. So you, you really get to, and I'm sure that helped shape my, definitely my people skills. Yeah. I think also the other thing that probably helped shape my early leadership skills was rugby. I was always the captain of the rugby team or pack leader or whatever. And I think that helps you get used to, to leadership, to, you know, putting your arm out and people come on, let's get on with it, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? That like all of these sorts of experiences that at the time you don't really give much credit to, probably you're just, this is what's in front of me. This is what I'm going to do. But actually you don't realize what an impact that's having on you in terms of the type of person you're going to become, the type of leader you're going to become and all of these things. It's, uh, it's actually something that we should probably, as leaders ourselves, give a lot more focus to in terms of how do we create the next batch of you know, world-class leaders. Absolutely. I think there's, yeah, you, you can start to shape as an individual throughout your teens and before you're actually active in the, in the business environment. And there's, there's so much more to leadership. And I, I think, you know, understanding people, being able to work as a, as part of a team, all that sort of stuff, such important building blocks mm. uh, for people going forward. So we might be on something, Phil, there could be a good book in this. Here we um, are. Or, uh, yeah, or let's start our own university of future leaders or something like that. Mm. I'm, I'm actually writing that down. <laughs> so so then uh, after, it's really, another thing about when teach skiing, I loved it. It was fantastic. However, I thought to myself, I've got to get out of here or I'm going to get stuck. I'm going to be 40 or 50 still doing this. Not that there's any wrong things, but I thought I've got to, because it's a great lifestyle. Yeah. And even back in those days, you could do winter in Britain and or Europe, and you could go to uh, Australia, New Zealand to do the British summer, i.e. their winter. So you could do it all year round. Yeah. Anyway, I, I went to Napier and uh, I did the HND. I didn't get into the degree i did the hnd but you know what I, I i smashed it i got you know best student award all that sort of good stuff i felt very comfortable in the learning environment and interesting i probably i probably excelled more in a sort of college environment than i did in a school environment because it suited me better but I, that's probably got a lot to do with the fact that you're you're actually now you've found something that you really connect with because obviously going to school is a very general experience, isn't it? It's about, I would imagine, this is why the curriculum was put in the first in place in the first place is to give people as wide a snapshot of society as they can in terms of these are all of the different types of skills that you might need in your life. Do any of them resonate with you closely? Some of us go through that whole experience and go, none of these resonate closely <laughs> with me and I'm talking about my, myself in that process but then you find a subject matter that you really care about and that you actually think yeah this is I want to learn more about this then the learning experience becomes completely different I think you're absolutely right if um if somebody tried to teach me about sociology or psychology at um at school where I couldn't fully understand the practical application but when I went to the college environment i saw a practical application about how it could work yeah so I, I, i'm absolutely with you on that i um yeah, I'm, I'm with you yeah so the funny thing is i've 
I think also throughout my life, I've been pretty lucky. I was kind of lucky to get the ski instructor job, you know, that, that helped me. And being a student, because I was, I was the typical student, you know, playing a lot of rugby, drinking beer, all that sort of good stuff, not particularly organized. And I remembered the term had finished and I thought, oh, I need a job. I need a job. So I went and looked at the notes board and I saw fourth bridges moathouse hotel looking for a receptionist right so i thought okay and it was a, a former a former alumni guy of um of napier was there so rang up interviewed got the job receptionist and that was a lucky break for me and my luck got even better because a lady there ultimately became my wife now of 30 35 years plus wow fantastic that was a result but also, it, it gave me access to Queen's Moat as a company. Now, back in the day, before they had their troubles, Queen's Moat were a, a rapidly expanding company. And, um, you know, I, I went, although I started as a receptionist in a summer job, there is also a thing about the hospitality business that somebody's downfall is somebody else's opportunity, just a fact of life. So I've only been there a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. And you've experienced it yourself, probably. The front of house manager got fired. And so they came to me and said, look, you're, you know, a bright lad, whatever. Uh, why don't you just do duty management for us for the summer and uh, the old reception shift? So they trained me, etc. I started, you know, doing duty management in a 108 bedroom hotel as a as a summer placement job. It was fantastic, fantastic. And so then I, I went back to complete my final year, and they rang me up in October and said, "We'd like to offer you a full time job." So I said, "Oh, I want to, I can't start until next year." They said, "Well, keep it open if you just work at weekends for us." So they kept the job open and as term time finished and I finished my exams, I started there as assistant food and beverage manager. So straightforward rule, good scale hotel, 108 bedroom. I could learn, I could experiment, I could practice. And within six months, they promoted me. They gave me the front of house manager yeah. job. So I was in charge of housekeeping reception. I should also declare that, um, that I became my, my, my now wife's boss. Interesting. You can either work with your wife, partner, or you cannot. Fortunately, uh, we could, because uh, you know, there was it was a myth that I was in charge. Anyway, yeah. everyone knew that and appreciated that. Of course, she was in charge. So uh, there you go. Of course, of course, so, that goes without saying, doesn't it? Yeah. And I ended up with three and a half very interesting years there. Ultimately, became deputy GM, and you know that that gave me the good thing was the general manager there really encouraged my development let me get on with things it was fantastic so i was very fortunate very fortunate to have to work with people who you know trusted me to get on with things and clearly yes i made mistakes and all lots of stuff but um it was just i saw good leadership from a, an early opportunity and that probably that that formulates your own leadership style as well i would i would imagine absolutely i think if you if you speak to people that work with me and there's there has been a few that you know as you say you can't do as many years in the industry without having a big stable of people that have worked with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, they would say that about me. But, um, yeah, I, I encouraged personal development. I, you know, clearly the, the the role models that I've worked with, and I've been very fortunate, you know, the best is yet to come. You know, I, I will talk about Stephen Carter at some stage in this podcast. Oh, not again. <laughs> I know. He's, he's, he is like, I don't know, it's, it, everybody is. He had, seems to have touched so many people in our industry, and uh, I'm a absolutely. I, I think I've said. Um, I think I was, I was interviewing uh, Matt Townley recently. He's another one uh, that's uh, had the, the fortune to work with uh, Stephen, and I think I actually said something along the lines of that Stephen Carter's got a lot to answer for. He certainly has. He certainly yeah. has. So yeah, I I decided that I had to I had to move. You know, I had to try and experience something different because. I was ran the risk of just being stuck in Scotland. They, had really, they didn't have that many other hotels in Scotland. So I had to uproot. And uh, there was a job, which was actually the food and beverage manager. It was the number three at the Grand Hotel in Birmingham. Now, the Grand Hotel is now truly a grand hotel once again. Right. I can assure you, with respect, in 1988, when I went there, it was not as grand. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was not as grand. It was a tough gig i was there as a number three but three really sort of exciting things uh sort of opened up for me at that stage i got to experience a big city center hotel you know 
I think it was 175 rooms right in the yep. city center of Birmingham. Big banqueting, or comparatively speaking, banqueting for 300, lots of meeting rooms, all that sort of good stuff. So from my own experience, really, really good. I think the other thing was it was a multicultural team, management team, colleague team. You know, Birmingham was totally different to, to Scotland. So I, I, I learned to understand that and understand the nuances of it. So I think that really stood me in really good stead, early doors. Yeah. So that, that was it. Then uh, I went on the general manager assessment center, got the opportunity to do it. And I did really well at it. And uh, that presented me with an opportunity that, to do something else. And the, the third thing is, and this is like the Carter hour, but um, I met Stephen Carter. So he was running the Holiday Inn in Birmingham, <laughs> and he and I met for a cup of coffee because he'd, yeah, he'd been tapped up to go and run Morehouse International in Glasgow for Queensborough, and he wanted a resident manager. So the company said, we've got this guy, and he and I met. And you know, Stephen clearly became a mentor, a colleague, and a very good friend. And to this day, you know, I ring him and seek his counsel. He's also the godfather of my second son, so he is, he's a... Wow. Very, very yeah, hard. real proper connections. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to, with the podcast now, start before I interview anybody, going, have you ever come across or worked for Stephen Carter? And if the answer is yes, right, I'll park you for this season and we'll, we'll come back to you in a, in a couple of seasons' time. But uh, no, I mean, fair play. I think it's, uh, it speaks volumes of the man yeah. that he's he's clearly somebody who, one, was in the right industry for a start, but two you know, just had the right kind of leadership to be able to to bring people on and maybe help them identify something in themselves that they didn't quite yet have the confidence uh, in to help them get there. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, it's interesting. Lots of people say that they put the, the team and the guests at the heart of what they do. Lots of people say that. Rattles off the tongue nice and easily. Yeah. Uh, Carter absolutely believes that. And Stephen, instilled that and when he worked with people that is the the essence that's what it's about sort those two things and everything else will be okay and yeah. uh, he, he, he's absolutely right and to this day i you know i have that put the guest at what i'm doing heart of what i'm doing and the team and um, yeah. you know we did that Stephen and i did that together at glasgow uh, and we had a cracking couple of years there and uh, you know i learned such a lot from him but I think the biggest thing was, and maybe it's back to your point, Phil, that he he gave me absolutely the confidence that I could go and be a general manager. Yeah. And so much so that, you know, I ended up getting a 251-bedroom hotel as my first appointment, which is, back in those days, that was, that was a big, big risk for the company. Uh, now, clearly, I was number two in a 300-bedroom hotel, but they gave me a 251-bedroom hotel in the yeah, city centre. still a big hotel. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I did do with, with Stephen was I just, I took, you know, the essence of what we did. And uh, yeah, to this day, when I'm developing people, those are the sort of things I'm talking about as well. So his yeah. mantra or his reason to, reason, to, reason to operate is still alive. And I know that, you know, lots of my colleagues who went through a similar school testify to that. In fact, I go back yeah. so far with Stephen, that he didn't have that little Scots accent he's got now. He was he had a much more Yorkshire accent. He's now got yeah. this little Scots twinge. Have you? <laughs> yeah, well, I was actually surprised to hear that that's where he hailed from uh, originally when we we had our our chat because yeah. he's now got that wee East Nook, um, yeah. as he calls it, um, twang. But anyway, this is not about Stephen as yeah. much as uh, he's already had his time on this nope. show. So, uh, but no, I mean, you know, we we tip our hats to him and. Um, and thank him for his uh, his input for sure. But then you got your first GM's appointment. Yes, yeah, to, to Liverpool. And, you know, it's not everyone's choice back in those days about wanting to go to Liverpool. But I looked at the opportunity and thought, wow, this is a sleeping giant. 251 bit. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. It got knocked down to build that lovely new shopping centre. However, right, it was a great opportunity. Great opportunity. And um, the hotel was unloved, unloved by the group unloved by its team members but there was a lot of love in the city towards it it was always a popular hotel it just needed you know somebody to grab it and uh yeah i, I think i i rebuilt i rebuilt the hotel but I, I don't mean from a bricks and mortar perspective 
I meant from a people and a culture perspective. And um, yeah. by doing that, we then drilled the performance of the business. And by doing that, we then convinced the company, Queen's Milk, to spend, and they spent like between eight and 10 million pounds on it. Now, I, I'd moved on to do something else at that point, but you know, that's what we did. And uh, one of my proudest achievements would be, you know, would be um, Liverpool and um, some great people, great stories about Liverpool. And um, my wife well, didn't well, want to go. Maybe there in the we'll first come back place. to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't want to go there in the first place and didn't want to leave. We had three and a half fantastic right. years in the. Yeah, um, and you know, it also probably highlights as well this uh, concept that we all, as you've said yourself, and I, and I, I, hundred percent agree with what you're saying around the fact that you know the, you look after your team and they will help look after your business. You can have the most beautiful property in the world, but if you've not got a great team within that property, then it's kind of soulless. It's lifeless. It's got nothing. But by the same token, if you have uh, a property that's run down and you have something that's really not at its best, then you run the risk of your team not feeling like they can engage with it or they, they're not proud of what they're, they're doing. And I, I always remember hearing this of all people from Russell Crowe, the actor, who took on, he uh, owned the uh, Sydney Rabbitohs for a while in rugby league. And one of the first things that he did to restore trust and faith and, and pride in the badge was to effectively give places a lick of paint. They restyled the uniform and the kit and all of that stuff so that whoever was involved with the club at least had this, yeah, they're trying to do something here. So I, I feel like I want to come along on this journey. Well, do you know what? It's interesting. Although we didn't get lots of big money spent on the hotel, one thing I decided from day one was I was going to improve the basics. And so by yeah. basics, I mean changing rooms, staff canteen, staff food, you know, just the behind-the-scenes stuff, because they were grim, truly grim. Right. And um, I do remember that um, we made such a, a difference with tins of paint, bit of wallpaper, you know, saying to the chef, I want the food to be better, I want a proper salad bar. It doesn't cost, do you know what I mean? It didn't cost, wasn't millions of pounds. And then just making sure people have uniforms. It's interesting, it's one of my pet pet frustrations to this day is uniforms still across our business you know still aren't good enough yeah. still aren't good enough but i think putting on a good uniform you have your pride if you then go to get some some decent staff food you enjoy enjoy your job you know all, all the sort of the basics really really important really important yeah yeah and it makes them feel like that you you care about them and that you, Absolutely. you know, that actually, you, while you're here, we're going to look after you. No, no and um, so Liverpool was genuinely where I could, a hotel of scale I could experiment with. I rebuilt the commercial model around films. So the hotel used to have a tourism group base, but in the early 90s, Liverpool was a very cost effective way of filming London locations. Really? <laughs> That's very interesting. So, as an example, well, that you know, my key client was the Liverpool Film Institute, right? And um, they, you know, we did in the name of the father, Daniel Day Lewis. They were there for weeks. Big, I mean, the thing about a film crew, it you know, it's solid accommodation, great numbers of people, all that sort of good stuff. So there was, yeah, you could build that in and just infill bits on top of it. So we changed the commercial model of that hotel on the back of films. So yeah. But I, yeah, I really, I really learned, and um, I think I've always been strong in the PL, But when you've got your own PL, i you're the general manager responsible for it, you get even closer to it. And yeah. you know, PL always to me is a bit of a roadmap. You know, we've done something. Okay, is it working? And oh, let's tweak it. You know, that's so. But exciting, exciting, and also big numbers. You know, big numbers yeah. for the first property. And uh, you know, we really transformed the profitability of the hotel. And going back to that's why they then agreed to spend eight or ten million pounds, which for Queen's Mall was an awful lot of money. An awful lot of right, money. yeah. Well, and also, I guess it, it in some ways, if you weren't already on the map yourself, you had definitely put yourself on the map with the company in terms of okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Well, they demonstrate that because they then wanted me to go to to a hotel. Now it's interesting you said about a really nice product. So they wanted me to go to the Stoke and Trend Motorhouse 
because the, the GM who'd done the pre-opening had left and they wanted somebody to go in. And um, I, I think it's fair to say there, there were team problems in that property. Right. But you know what? It was a lovely, lovely product. If I compare it, Liverpool to, because it was built for the garden centre, brand spanking new. It was only a few years old. So, you know, I had, I had threadbare carpets. Liverpool, I had a lovely posh hotel, Stoke and Trent. Didn't do it for me. Didn't do it for me. Wasn't happy. Wasn't happy with the, right. the team. The, now Interesting. You can reshape yeah. re the team, but just wasn't. And actually, I got, I got poached away. I got poached away to go and work for another company who were going to open up a competitor for David Lloyd, against David Lloyd, and uh, actually resigned to go and do that. And Queensmoat said, look, why are you going to go and do a leisure job elsewhere? Why don't you do our group leisure job within Queensmoat? Because they had 33 house clubs, goodness knows how many golf clubs in those days. So I, I set up the, the health club business for Queensmoat. So when I joined, it was... Uh, it didn't have his own line in the P&L. It was telephone, other health club and spa all lumped together. So my first objective <laughs> was to get a separate line in the P&L for it, which we did, and make it a standalone. No, seriously, I mean, it, it was just lumped in with telephone and all that sort of other stuff. So it became a yeah. standalone standalone business and accountable, and, and we delivered that. And, uh, you know, the great thing was it was my first corporate job. So I, I was supposed to being, you know, a general manager on property i was then running a region but it was a big region so that the the clubs reported into the gms but i actually had a key role and the the biggest the biggest skill that i honed then was influence because you visit a hotel right you can and if you're at my level as i was you know you have to influence people to do it you have to influence the general manager to get on board you know you can sit the club manager is the right way i think we should do it this way but you have to influence people and I, I think i became pretty good at it because when you get back in your car you're not there all the time to do it so that you've got to get to buy in to what you're trying to do so you know much more the importance of influence the importance of getting people to buy into the vision the you know really 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 important so i i think it prepared me so yeah. well for as i became a more senior executive also gets used to traveling around the uk schlepping around in a car on planes all that sort of stuff uh, really important and i used to get you know regular access to the board and the plc board and i managed to convince the plc board to spend i think uh i think it was four they were, they were going to do four new build health clubs once again in a relatively cash-strapped company based on external membership and the impact on weekend occupancy and overall hotel average room rate so we, we just we, we showed the hotel group that the health club was a key driver of their business. Yeah, which is really interesting because I think I, I think a lot of the time, it, well, it's probably changed now in the sense that um, I think back then, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was very much around, if you had a health club, it was just a, a, a very simple added value to whoever was coming into your hotel to stay. Whereas actually a proper health club with a within a hotel can be, uh, driven by the, well and has to be really probably from a commercial standpoint it has to be driven by your local community absolutely i think it definitely when i was doing that so that's kind of 95 97 with the the health club boom had, had, was established but you're right in hotels if you could get a decent sized hotel uh, hotel health club you could put a membership in and a membership drives the profitability this is pre-spa i mean spa was not really that big then so it was all about health club membership whereas now health club membership yeah. is important but absolutely the spa is such an important part of the offering now so a great opportunity for me further exposure within queen's moat and um i did that for two and a half years and then they promoted me to operations director so they gave me 25 hotels um and put me on the board and um i was happy i mean really interesting so even then i'd been with the company approaching 13 years but every two and a half or three i'd had a new job and now there i was operation director on the board really really exciting times i was pinching myself pinching myself yeah yeah sure did you have um was there a moment where you kind of knew 
that's the next step for me. I want to do that. Or was it one of those things whereby somebody said, oh, do you know what? We're going to be looking for a new operations director and we think you would be great. So I remember I'd, I did say to my wife, uh, one of my goals was I wanted to be on the, the board of, I, once I started getting the, the sort of general manager, I'd said to my wife, I want to be on the board of a hotel company. That's what I want to do. And I think I said by the time I'm 35. Yeah. Yeah. But my boss, I worked for a guy called Andrew Bold and uh, Queensmoke, and um, he was he was a great developer of people as well. You know, he he would regularly say to me, you know, don't you be going anywhere. We've got plans for you. So he would constantly reassure him that something was around the corner. And sure enough, you know, it was. So I went from, you know, GM colleague to uh, the, the transition to the sort of corporate job of clubs was it was okay that the, the, the GMs got me, they understood my role. Suddenly, another elevation. But, you know, the people that I worked with yeah. in those days, I took it in my stride, took it in my stride because, you know, I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily go about doing it any differently. And, uh, you know, I always treat people as they like to be treated, treat them with respect. So the transition from one role to another came seamlessly. Yeah. That's a really interesting point as well, though, I think, because a, a lot of people do change when they get a title change, don't they? When you make that transition, as you say, from being a colleague into leadership, it can something can change within that human being, which is maybe not authentic. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I, I did try and keep it real. I mean, the the one thing that, that I, um, I say to people <laughs> is I'm just a lot less patient than I used to be. I right. I'm <laughs> charged. The more senior you become, the less patient you become. That's, you know, and uh, there'll be people say, oh, but there'll be people nodding their head in agreement when they hear this. I'm being honest. Yeah, I, it frustrates me when we don't move more quickly. And uh, clearly I am a hurry up and all those sort of good things. But um, I'm aware of it. And we do have a chuckle. Uh, my colleagues know that I'm um, a real hurry up. And uh, my wife knows that I'm, considerably less patient in my work than I used to be right but, um, but I suppose that half the battle when you're leading people is, is that if they know that that's fine if that's part of your natural makeup then you can either you get on board with that as you know somebody who works for you or you go you're not the, you're not the place for me yeah. but as long as you're upfront and honest about that and people kind of get that then that you know people will will follow you yeah absolutely so then I, I was I was relatively, I was relatively ha- happy at Queensmill. Uh, I was, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm I'm in good position here to to take over from the MD. What do you know? What I mean, I, I was, however, the phone rang, yeah. and it was a headhunter. And oh, they, here we go. Yeah, they <laughs> wanted to talk to me about Esporta. So Esporta was a health and fitness company, which had been a private company bought by First Leisure. Yeah, and. Um, founded by a guy called Patrick Henshaws. Patrick decided he wanted to move on. They wanted an MD. So I um, I got approached, went along, and uh, they, they liked my hotel background, the fact that I had run a health and fitness business before, understood the, the dynamics of it. Uh, I was a, you know, a good candidate. And um, I went in there, and um, I'd only been there, you know, five minutes, when we had a hostile takeover hostile bid so i've got to say i spent i spent uh the first maybe year of it getting under the skin of the business and then the last 18 months defending a hostile takeover and wow. um that was the the most pressure i think in lots of ways up to, in my career that was it i was really under the pump there and the reason being and the the board made a couple of really sensible decisions so if you're in a plc environment somebody needs to run the day-to-day business because everyone can get distracted and oh let's let's worry about the takeover so i didn't get really involved in the table takeover. what i did get involved was absolutely delivering what we'd said to our shareholders don't sell to them because here's what we're going to do we'll make these yeah. efficiencies we'll make them so i did that i made sure we hit our numbers that we you know we took made efficiencies in our payroll our costs i did the the grinding detail of that less glamorous than defending the takeover, but absolutely important. And you know, at the end of the day, your your responsibility is to your shareholders. And we had to do the best deal for our shareholders. And by the best deal, let's get the bid price up. 
and that's what we did. So eventually they they increased the bid, and um, you know they they did two take they went to a, a private equity, Duke Street Capital. So they did two deals. They did an agreed taker with somebody else, and the hostile taker with us. And the agreed taker, we got to run the enlarged business. So I got, I got, you know, got the bullet, whatever you want to call it, paid off. So frustrated, unfinished business because I really liked Esporta, but right. on reflection, did the best I could for my shareholders, and um, it gave me the opportunity to, to have a year off and spend time with my two sons, one who was five weeks old, another one who was just about two. So it was, you know, sad but sweet. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that's the, the, the thing, isn't it? You Again, now you, an opportunity has presented itself that perhaps you wouldn't have gotten if you were just going from one job to the next or, or head down and doing that job for the next five, ten years, whatever. And actually, you know, the, the family is quite, quite an important part of life as well. Absolutely. It was it was fantastic. I became a really hands on dad for a period of time. So, you know, it's not for a period of time. Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, did nurseries and all that sort of stuff, and spent time with my kids and had lovely holidays. However, I can't remember who I think it was probably my wife actually that sort of said, "Do you not think it's about time you started looking for a job?" And um, so I think. Um, well, I think I think when they say that, it's definitely time to start looking for a job. Yeah. I think that was about seven, eight months into it. So I, I, I got an opportunity with a Thistle in London. Well, actually, it wasn't in London initially. So Thistle in those days ran 36 provincial hotels. And so I, I met the, the, the team at Thistle. They looked at my CV, my experience of running provincial UK hotels, and they, uh, they offered me the role. So I was going to be you know, MD provincial hotels. Uh, so part of the umbrella brand of Thistle. And um, the thing about Thistle is that um, back in those days, there was a coup every five minutes. Somebody was losing <laughs> their job or being promoted every five minutes. And anyone who, and we, you know, we were, everyone bears the scars of Thistle. You know? So I uh, remember I was uh, beavering away in the provinces and they promoted somebody in London to be the COO, and Bev King. And Bev reached out to me and said, I'd like to come and look after the London properties for me. So I hadn't done London properties. Now, if you think about Thistle, they have some lovely assets. They had some lovely assets, still have, in London. So I ended up being responsible for five 5,000 bedrooms in London. And um, it was an amazing experience. Another great learning. Yep. Um, interesting, interesting culture within Thistle, heavily influenced by, you know, the ownership group and all that sort of stuff. But um, I could not say enough about working in London for a period of time. It was just incredible. The, the most amazing city to work in with challenges. You know, we've, I was there during 7-7. And I, I mean, it was just, you know, I, I've been very fortunate in lots of my jobs. I've had great learnings. And Thistle, uh, great learning, great learning. And Thistle... Um, it's interesting. There was yet another coup, and um, I do remember that um, there was an opportunity for the CEO role, and I applied for it. I didn't get it. I was the other candidate, and right. uh, so shortly after that, I, I moved on. But I kind of knew that was probably going to happen, and I'd already, funnily enough, I'd already had a phone call with Julia Hands about the possible role that, that Hand picked. So you know, I, I left Thistle and started relatively quickly after uh, handpicked yeah and suddenly 16 years later there we are yeah yeah you blinked and you woke up and one day uh, it was 16 years later uh, do you know i've got this uh, story i remember when i used to be on the board at uh, and i tell the story to people so at queensmore and there's a sales writer there, a lovely guy called mike jones and he used to refer to me in a patronising sort of manner as Young Douglas. <laughs> young Douglas. Young Douglas. Right. <laughs> and I said, I said to people, suddenly, I'm the oldest guy in the room. And I said, how has that happened? So time moves really quickly. Embrace, enjoy every moment in your work, in your personal life. Because it's, seriously, I'm youngest in the room to confidently the oldest in the room. And every time I make any form of TV reference, people look at me with blank faces. So... All these youngsters have got this to come. So I know that's a thing now, right? 
that's absolutely a thing. I, I'm, I'm the same. I have to. I had. I spoke to somebody the other day, and I was like, you know that bit in Back to the Future, and they went, "What's Back to the Future?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... But yeah, but that's that's that, that's also part of evolution, right? We we have to change as well. It's not. Uh, it's not about. Um, well, the world moves on, doesn't it? And we've got to move on with it. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. I, it's interesting. And I think the world is changing uh, even more quickly. The the pace of change, you know, even yeah. stripping out the pandemic, the impact of technology and, oh, it's just, you know, I, I, I my father is 92. And, you know, he talks about hearing the first radio broadcast and the change he has seen in his lifetime. I mean, still, he's still up to date, uses tablets and gadgets and all that it's just amazing but i actually think the change in technology in the last five years yeah that's phenomenal actually to to contemplate that that um over somebody's life but um yeah well what a, yeah and here you are you still uh still got a lot to do as you said it's, uh, there's always something to do at, at handpicked so what's um what does the next year hold in store for you guys what have you got in the in the pipeline at the moment well, so it's interesting. We've, we've, we've continued to acquire hotels. So we've now got 21 hotels. Yep. So we've acquired, even during the pandemic, we acquired another couple in the, the Channel Islands. So we've now got outposts in Alderney and uh, got another hotel in uh, Guernsey. So they're, they're still being integrated to the brand. But, you know, with 21, you have real scale. And then, you know, you know our, our owners are committed to, we've been going about repositioning the brand been doing that for the last uh, two years right. but we've got some we've got some additional work that we're going to be doing over the next uh, year to 18 months about what the brand looks like going forward and uh, yeah it's going to be exciting so it's going to keep us very busy very busy excellent no that's great so from your career so far do you have um, any examples of any funny stories that you can share with the listeners Abs- you know I, I'm glad you asked me that because um <laughs> I'm glad you asked the, answered it like that. Yeah, no, no, no. Here's the thing. So when I was in, when I first went to Liverpool, now Liverpool, and once again, I've been nothing but positive about Liverpool, but when I first went to Liverpool, the hotel had a perception, had a, a poor reputation from a theft perspective. Stuff was always getting stolen from the hotel. Right. And, you know, there are, there are stereotypes about Liverpool and all that sort of good stuff. And um, you remember that I said when I first arrived, in the hotel, I wanted to improve the facilities. I wanted to try and recognize the people. So when I arrived in July, we spent months gearing up, painting, decorating, proving the food. And I remember I said to the manager team, I said, I really want to make a big thing about Christmas. I want the staff canteen, you know, really decorated. I want a big Christmas tree in the staff canteen. I want the menu to be seasonal. I was, hopefully it still comes across. I was excited. By what we we're going to do. Yeah. So lo and behold, the day arrives. The day arrives that um, the veg man in those days is going to deliver the Christmas trees. So the chef comes to me, really flustered. Oh, Mr. He said, "Not going to believe it." He said, um, "One of the Christmas trees has been stolen from the back door of the hotel." Oh, I God. Said, oh, you are joking. Because we ordered two Christmas trees, really big one for the hotel, one for the staff canteen. So the natural assumption was somebody stole it. I said to my PA, I had a PA in those days. Maggie Parr, lovely lady. I said, Maggie, I want a staff meeting. I want everybody up in the staff canteen. And um, so they get up and I storm in, right? You can just imagine body language. And so what I said, I said, I cannot believe it. I arrived here in July. Yeah. I wanted to treat you like human beings. I've painted, I've decorated the canteen. I could see the head chef. He's jumping up and down in the back, trying to catch my eye. And I'm shushing, shushing away. And I said, I cannot believe it. But... Um, Today, we took delivery of the two Christmas trees. Chef still jumped up the two Christmas trees at the back door, and one of them has been stolen already. I'm disgusted with a lot of you. Stormed out. So the chef grabs him and says, oh, that was very good, boss. But just to let you know, the veg man's just been on the phone saying he's sorry they only delivered one Christmas tree. <laughs> He'll drop the other one off tomorrow. Oh, God. <laughs> so you should never jump to conclusions. Uh... Never jump to conclusions about people. Oh, and it's yeah, amusing Rough. and embarrassing, but um, it was just, I'm funny, my wife, she was actually, she was helping out and she was in the audience and she said she'd never seen me as animated. And although I didn't accuse them all of being thieves, there was clearly the 
Oh dear, not my finest hour, but. But you well, I I hope that you learnt a lesson, and actually for me that that's that's, it's stories like that for me that have, kind of one of the reasons I wanted to to start this podcast in the first place because I I wanted to demonstrate to the world, that you know people I've I've always looked I've sort of, you're always been somebody that I've kind of known about since your time at Thistle actually you and I had a conversation then when I was, uh, working as a recruiter back back then, always knew who you were on the back of that. And um, and it was one of those things whereby, from the outside looking in, you're a really successful hotelier. And I can't hope to know the, the bones and the ins and outs of all of the, the things that you've done well and you've done wrong and all of these sorts of things. But what I always wanted to do was just to demonstrate to the world that the people who have made it, in inverted commas, uh, in the world, have more than likely made as many, if not more, mistakes than we have as kind of mere mortals. And that's because it, it comes down to the fact that actually th- through the mistakes and your ability to pick yourself up from making them and critically having a leadership team around you that allows you to make them, that's how you become excellent. It's not about being perfect every second day of the week. Um, you know, It's about being able to respond to when things don't go your way. And so for you to come up with a story like that is absolute manna from heaven for me because it's that that's to me that's life that is life right there and look at what you've become on the back of making you know uh, a, a, an embarrassing error in the spirit of sharing then this morning i was on a on a call on a zoom call and um uh, we were discussing and uh, we, we were talking about incentivization and so at the end of it i said to you know i was on with my hr director and a colleague and i said right how can we do this better next time? Because we've made some mistakes in pulling this together. And uh, so I, I, I think that's really important. And I, yep. I used a line, I want to try and make new mistakes tomorrow. Nice. And, um, so even to this day, I'm still learning on a daily basis. It's really important. And, um, and I think, you know, people have to encourage an environment where people can make a decision. Yeah. Make, people, people created an environment where I could make a decision throughout my career. And if you do that, you know, it's giving people the opportunity to grow and you only grow by getting it wrong. Yeah, I, I, totally. I could not agree more. And um, no, that's that's absolutely wonderful. And it's it's good to see as well that you're, you're, you're still, I don't want to use the words man enough because I can't use those words anymore, but you're, you know, you're still happy to accept that even in this moment whereby you have all of this experience that we're, you know, I still get it wrong. And so, mm-hmm. you know, let's, show the world that we do get it wrong, but the critical the critical element of that is is that we will work doubly as hard to make sure we get it right next time. Yeah. I, you know, it's really interesting. The, the, the pandemic and leadership over pandemic and, um, you know, we, we couldn't afford to get things wrong during the pandemic. We had to get it right. Yeah. And um, it's really interesting. I, I've reflected long and hard on and I think we we did a good job over pandemic. We did a good job for our our guests. We did a good job for our teams. Yeah, that's that to me is that we operated our hotels safely. We took our responsibilities very seriously. We communicated to our teams regularly, give them good updates, but we didn't rush. And I think this is one thing I learned from early doors was that there was so much information coming from the government. Some of it was being I don't want to say spun, but leaked or here's here's what's coming. Yeah, and I, sure. I used to used to look forward to read the actual statute. So sometimes we would we would not we would delay for twenty four hours until the documentation came out. And I think you know it's absolutely important if you want people to feel safe, secure, you need to give them uh, correct information, correct communication. So I did not want to be jumping the gun and saying then doing another announcement next day saying we got that wrong. And so throughout the pandemic, we made the right calls. We got the balance between urgency. I, we need to tell people, but let's just get it, get it right. Yeah. And um, business, we were using Zoom before. And clearly we used it, we used it a lot during pandemic. Um, and I do see a place for Zoom, absolutely do. But I do want to get back to getting people together in, our, in rooms, the, the power of communication when you're together with people is so much more effective than on Zoom. And I know totally. I accept that people totally, are totally. very good at Zoom. 
and also it um it reinforces that there'll be um a meeting and events business going forward really important yeah. thing because people need to get together and uh, you know talk strategy planning and so much of it you can do on zoom but you know we had our business we our business leaders together uh, fairly recently we had them together in rookery in cheshire and it was amazing 36 hours together we hadn't been together since november 2019 and it was just good did we achieve a lot absolutely and yeah. wasn't much more effective than zoom absolutely zoom absolutely has its place but then the importance of getting people together yeah i know i'm biased being a hotelier but no but i it's you're you're right on so many levels, though, because it's it's not just about I suppose the hospitality element of of that, but actually, you know, it is actually a very very if if you're together, it's an efficient, more efficient use of space and time than trying to do things virtually a lot of the time. You're right, I, I completely agree with you. Zoom and other platforms are here to stay for sure, and in some ways they've made things more easy. But at, at what we can accomplish under human contact when we're in the same room, I think far outweighs anything you can do in a virtual environment. Absolutely. Fabulous. Right. Um, um, yeah, no arguments for me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, conscious of time a little bit, but before we go, um, what three reasons would you give to somebody who uh, was contemplating a career in hospitality? Why should they come and work in hospitality? So if you might just use my own, my own uh, personal um, so I technically started as a receptionist in a hotel company and with, you know, effort and opportunity, you know, I know I'm a senior director in a hotel company. I don't yep. believe there's another business like it in the world where you can start, I don't say at the bottom, but you can work your way out. And, and our industry is littered with people who have gone through the ranks, learning skills. Yep. So I think that is it. You can, yeah, you can start at the bottom. I think the other thing is, as a school leaver, you can earn as you learn. And I'll give you an example. My youngest son, uh, he was an apprentice chef at one of our hotels. And he's now sort of, he's, I don't know, he's he's graduated, did his year's apprenticeship, stayed on. Uh, He's now not kicking kicking the pants off at junior sous level. And he's going to be 20 next week. And he kind of, we, we licensed him to work at weekends properly when he was 13, 14, so he, you know, so you can, you can earn what you learn. And I think, you know, um, university is not for everybody. So I, I think that is a really important message that we need to do. And we need to make it simpler for people to do, when I say proper work experience in hotels and uh, safely and all that sort of good stuff, because, you know, yeah. You know, we hooked my son. He he wanted to do it, but we hooked him. So he'll, you know, hopefully he'll continue to rise up, and then I eventually think he'll graduate out front. That's what, that's his route. So there's there's a route for everybody. So it doesn't have to be an ac- academic uh, route. Um, and the other thing is that um, you get to work with some great people in our business. So if I if I just give an example, not enough I work with a great selection of people. I have met the most amazing array of guests throughout the years. Some famous, some not famous, clearly, but it's just in terms of a diversity of job and no no days is the same. So for those those three things, absolutely I would I would recommend it. So much so I recommend it to modern family. So you know, no yeah. no strong advert from that. Absolutely. Fantastic. Look, look, thank you so much. We got there in the end. We've been trying to do this for, for a few months, haven't we? <laughs> but um, yeah. um, massively appreciate your, your time, Douglas, and to, to talk us through your story. Yeah, if people want to get a hold of you to, to learn about Handpicked or what you're up to, what's the best method for them to do that? Uh, I'm a dwaddle at handpicked.co.uk. I'm also uh, active on LinkedIn. That's my proven method of communication i like to i like to i like to post and write some stuff around that so yeah but happy happy to hear from people really reach out to me love to love to talk and share my stories and listen to people's stories as well fantastic 
Douglas, thank you so much. I will wish you a, a lovely day ahead and uh, I'll catch up with you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you for your time, Phil. Good to speak to you. You too. Take care. Cheers. Bye. And there we have it. An excellent career so far from Douglas, and having been at handpicked for 16 years at the time of recording, I think it's safe to say that he's found his home. I wish him continued success. I'll be back again next Wednesday at 8pm telling more stories from the awesome humans within hospitality. But until then, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.